Hello and welcome to another episode. Already off to a great start. Another episode of Who Knows? Oh, my coffee's getting cold. Um, my name's Chris. Uh, I'm uh, just, this is your, you, you found my podcast somehow, uh, whether it be a link I put out or you found it randomly, you're here. And that's cool. Um, in this podcast, I read things. That's it. Oh, that's all I do is I read things to you. I had a friend uh, talk to me about maybe doing discussions after readings, um, which I mean, it's a possibility in the future, but right now I'm just reading uh, because you don't have time to read. I got some time to read. I like reading. I'm good at it. And we all learn something or we don't learn something. You never know. I mean, it could just be a whole bunch of BS that we're reading, but hopefully we get something out of it. That's what reading's all about, right? Maybe you get something out of it. So we're just going to go ahead and get right into it. Just like we always do. I think this is like episode 11 or something like that. Um, and today we're going to be reading The Untethered Soul, The Journey Beyond Yourself by Michael A. Singer. And we're just going to be reading uh, uh, the very first chapter, and that's it right now for this book. If we like it, we'll buy it. Uh, this is just a preview. Uh, let's do the introduction. That'll work. Introduction. This book was published in 2007. Um, so here's the introduction. And it starts out with a quote. This above all, to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night the day. Thou canst not be false to any man. William Shakespeare. Shakespeare's age-honored words spoken by Polonius to his son Laer Laertes in Act One of Hamlet sound so clear and unambiguous. They tell us that to maintain honest relations with others, we must first be true to ourselves. Yet if Laertes were to be totally honest with himself, he would realize that his father may as well have told him to catch the wind. After all, to which self are we to be true? Is it the one that shows up when we're in a bad mood, or the one that is present when we feel humbled by our mistakes? Is it the one who speaks from the dark recess of the heart when we're depressed or upset, or the one that appears during those fleeting moments when life seems so fanciful and light? From these questions, we see that the concept of self may turn out to be a bit more elusive than initially presumed. Perhaps if Laertes could have turned to traditional psychology, it would have shed some light on the subject. Freud, the father of psychology, divided the psyche into three parts, the id, the ego, and the superego. He saw the id as a primal animal nature, the superego as the judgment system that society has instilled within us, and the ego as our representative to the outside world that struggles to maintain a balance between the other two powerful forces. But this certainly would not have helped young Laertes, after all, to which of these conflicting forces are we to be true? Again, we see that things are not always simple, as simple as they seem. If we dare to look past the surface of the term self, questions arise that many people would rather not ask. Are the many aspects of my being all equally part of myself, or is there only one of me? And if so, 
where, which, where, how, and why. In the following chapters, we will undertake a journey of exploration of self, but we will not do so in a traditional manner. We will neither call upon the experts in psychology nor upon the great philosophers. We will not argue and choose between time-honored religious views or resort to statistically supported surveys of people's opinions. We will instead turn to a single source that has phenomenal direct knowledge on the subject. We will turn to one expert who, for every moment of every day of their life, has been collecting the data necessary to finally put this great inquiry to rest. And that expert is you. But before you get too excited or decide that you're not up to the task, first be clear that we're not after your views or opinions on the subject. Neither are we interested in what books you have read, classes you have taken, nor seminars you have attended. We, all, we are only interested in your intuitive experience of what it's like to be you. We are not looking for your knowledge. We are seeking your direct experience. You see, you can't fail at this because yourself is what you are at all times and in all places. We simply need to sort it out. After all, it can get quite confusing in there. The chapters of this book are nothing but mirrors for seeing yourself from different angles. And through the journey we are about to embark on and Though the journey we are about to embark on is an inner one, it will, draw, it will draw upon every aspect of your life. The only requirement asked of you is the willingness to honestly look at yourself in the most natural, intuitive manner. Remember, if we are seeking the root of self, what, are we actually, what we are actually seeking is you. As you read through these pages, you will find that you know much more than you thought you did about some very deep subjects. The fact is, you already know how to find yourself. You have just gotten distracted and disoriented. Once refocused, you will realize that you not only have the ability to find yourself, you have the ability to free yourself. Whether you choose to do so or not is entirely up to you. But upon completion of your journey through these chapters, there will be no more confusion, no more lack of empowerment, and no more blaming others. You will know exactly what must be done. And you should choose to devote yourself to the ongoing journey of self-realization. You will develop a tremendous sense of respect for who you really are. It is only then that you will come to appreciate the full depth of meaning in, in the advice, this above all, to thine own self be true. All right, that's the intro. We're going to go to part one. Now, this is a huge thing going on right now that I've seen. And I don't know... I mean, I, I, I get it. It's just still one of those things that I'm just not 100% sure about. But people are talking about all this ascension and awakening your consciousness and and all this stuff. And I mean, a lot of it makes sense, but it also is there's conflicting arguments. So we're just going to get into it and make up your own mind. So this first part is called awakening consciousness. And chapter one is called The Voice Inside Your Head. It starts with another quote. Shoot, I can't remember her name. What is her name? Darn, here she comes. What is it? Sally. Sue? She just told me yesterday. What's the matter with me? This is going to be embarrassing. In case you haven't noticed, you have a mental dialogue going on inside your head that never stops. It just keeps going and going. Have you ever wondered why it talks in there? How does it decide what to say and when to say it? How much of what it says turns out to be true? How much of what it says is even important? And if right now you're hearing, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have any voice inside my head. That's the voice we're talking about. If you're smart, you'll take the time to step back, examine this voice, and get to know it better. The problem is you're too close to be objective. 
You have to step way back and watch it converse. While you're driving, you hear internal conversations like, wasn't I supposed to call Fred? I should have. Oh my God, I can't believe I forgot. He's going to be so mad. He may never talk to me again. Maybe I should stop and call him right now. No, I don't want to stop the car right now. Notice that the voice takes both sides of the conversation. It doesn't care which side it takes, just as long as it gets to keep on talking. When you're tired and trying to sleep, it's the voice inside your head that says, What am I doing? I can't go to sleep yet. I forgot to call Fred. I remember it in the car, but I didn't call. If I don't call now, oh wait, it's too late. I shouldn't call him now. I don't even know why I thought about it. I need to fall asleep. Oh shoot, now I can't fall asleep. I'm not tired anymore, but I have a big day tomorrow, and I have to get up early. No wonder you can't sleep. Why do you even tolerate that voice talking to you all the time? Even if it, even if what it's saying is soothing and nice, it's still disturbing everything you're doing. If you spend some time observing this mental voice, the first thing you will notice is that it never shuts up. When left to its own, it just talks. Imagine if you were to see someone walking around constantly talking to himself. You'd think he was strange. You'd wonder. If he's the one who's talking and he's the one who's listening, he obviously knows what's going to be said before he says it. So what's the point? The same is true from the voice inside your head. Why is it talking? It's you who's talking, and it's you who's listening. And when the voice argues with itself, who is it arguing with? You, who could possibly win? It gets very confusing. Just listen. I think I should get married. No, you know you're not ready. You'll be sorry, but I love him. Oh, come on. You felt that way about Tom. What if you had married him? If you watch carefully, you'll see that it's just trying to find a comfortable a comfortable place to rest. It will change sides in a moment if that seems to help. And it doesn't even quiet down when it finds out that it's wrong. It simply adjusts its viewpoint and keeps on going. If you pay attention, these metal, mental patterns will become obvious to you. It's actually a shocking realization when you first notice that your mind is constantly talking. You might even try to yell at it in a feeble attempt to shut it up. But then you realize that's the voice yelling at the voice. Shut up. I want to go to sleep. Why do you have to talk all the time? <laughs> Obviously, you can't shut up in that way. Shut it up that way. The best way to free yourself from this incessant chatter is to step back and view it objectively. Just view the voice as a vocalizing mechanism that is capable of making it appear like someone is in there talking to you. Don't think about it. Just notice it. No matter what the voice is saying, it's all the same. It doesn't matter if it's saying nice things or mean things, worldly things or spiritual things. It doesn't matter because it's still just a voice talking inside your head. In fact, the only way to get your distance from this voice is to stop differentiating what it's saying. Stop feeling that one thing it says is you and the other thing it says is not you. If you're hearing it talk, it's obviously not you. You are the one who hears the voice. You are the one who notices that it's talking. You do hear it when it talks, don't you? Make it say hello right now. Say it over and over a few times. Now shout it outside. Can you hear yourself saying hello inside? Of course you can. There's a voice talking, and there is you who notices the voice talking. The problem is that it's easy to notice the voice saying hello, but it's difficult to see that no matter what the voice says, it is still just a voice talking and you listening. There's absolutely nothing that voice can say that is more than you, more you than anything else it says. Suppose you were looking at three objects, a flower pot, a photograph, and a book, and were then asked, which of these objects is you? You'd say, none of them. I'm the one who's looking at what you're putting in front of me. It doesn't matter what you put in front of me. It's always going to be me looking at it. You see, it's an act of a subject perceiving various objects. This is also true of hearing the voice inside. 
It doesn't make any difference to what it's saying. You are the one who is aware of it. As long as you think that one thing it's saying to you is you, but the other thing it's saying is not you, you've lost your ob objectivity. You may want to think of yourself as part as the part that says the nice things, but that's still the voice talking. You may like what it says, but it's not you. There's nothing more important to true growth than realizing that you are not the voice of the mind. You are the one who hears it. If you don't understand it, this, you will try to figure out which of the many things the voice says is really you. People go through so many changes in the name of trying to find myself. They want to discover which of these voices, which of these aspects of their personality is who they really are. The answer is simple. None of them. If you watch it objectively, you will come to see that much of what the voice says is meaningless. Most of the talking is just a waste of time and energy. The truth is that most of life will unfold in accordance with forces far outside of your control, regardless of what your mind says about it. It's like sitting down at night and deciding whether you want the sun to come up in the morning. The bottom line is the sun will come up and the sun will go down. Billions of things are going on in this world. You can think about it all you want, but life is still going to keep on happening. In fact, your thoughts have far less impact on this world than you would like to think. If you're willing to be objective and watch all your thoughts, you will see that the vast majority of them have no relevance. They have no effect on anything or anybody except you. They're simply making you feel better or worse about what is going on now, what has gone on in the past, or what might go on in the future. If you spend your time hoping that it doesn't rain tomorrow, you're wasting your time. Your thoughts don't change the rain. You will someday come to see that there is no use for that incessant internal chatter. And there is no reason to constantly attempt to figure everything out. Eventually, you will see that the real cause of problems is not life itself. It's the, com it's the commotion the mind makes about life that really causes the problems. Now, this raises a serious question. If so much of what the voice says is meaningless and unnecessary, then why does it even exist? The secret to answering this question lies in understanding why it says what it says when it says it. For example, in some cases, the mental voice talks for the same reason that a tea kettle whistles. That is, there's a buildup of energy inside that needs to be released. If you watch objectively, you'll see that when there's a buildup of nervous, fearful, or desire-based energies inside, the voice becomes extremely active. This is easy, easy to see when you are angry with someone and you feel like telling them off. Just watch how many times the inner voice tells them off before you even see them. When energy builds up inside, you want to do something about it. That voice talks because you're not okay inside, and talking releases energy. You will notice, however, that when you're not particularly bothered by something, it still talks. When you're walking down the street, it says things like, Look at that dog. It's a Labrador. Hey, there's another dog in that car. He looks a lot like my first dog, Shadow. Whoa, there's an old Oldsmobile. It's got Alaska plates. You don't see many of those down here. It is actually narrating the world for you, but why do you need this? You already see what's happening outside. How does it help you to repeat it to yourself through the mental voice? You should examine this very closely. With a simple glance, you instantly take it in the tremendous detail of whatever you're looking at. If you see a tree, you, effortless, you effortlessly see the branches, the leaves, and the flowering buds. Why then do you have to verbalize what you have already seen? Look at that dogwood. The green leaves are so beautiful against the white flowers. Look how many flowers there are. Wow, it's so full. What you'll see if you study this carefully is that the narration makes you feel more comfortable with the world around you. Like backseat driving, it makes you feel as though things are more in your control. You actually feel like you have some relationship with them. A tree is no longer just a tree in the world that has nothing to do with you. It is a tree that you saw, labeled, and judged. 
By verbalizing it mentally, you brought that initial direct experience of the world into the realm of your thoughts. There it becomes integrated with your other thoughts, such as those making up your value system and historical experiences. Take a moment to examine the difference between your experience of the outside world and your interactions with the mental world. When you're just thinking, you're free to create whatever thoughts you want in your mind, and these thoughts are expressed through voice. You are very accustomed to settling into the playground of the mind and creating and manipulating thoughts. This inner world is an alternate environment that is under your control. The outside world, however, marches to its own laws. When the voice narrates the outside world to you, those thoughts are now side by side in parity with all your other thoughts. All these thoughts intermix and actually influence your experience of the world around you. What you end up experiencing is really a personal representation or personal presentation of the world according to you, rather than the stark, unfiltered experience of what is really out there. This mental manipulation of the outer experience allows you to buffer reality as it comes in. For example, there are myriad things that you see at any given moment, yet you only narrate a few of them. The ones you discuss in your mind are the ones that matter to you. With this subtle form of pre-processing, you manage to control the experience of reality so that it all fits together inside your mind. Your consciousness is actually experiencing your mental model of reality, not reality itself. You have to watch this very carefully because you do it all the time. You're walking outside in the winter, you start to shiver, and the voice says, it's cold. Now, how did that help you? You already knew it was cold. You're the one who's experiencing the cold. Why is it telling you this? You recreate the world within your mind because you can control your mind, whereas you can't control the world. That is why you mentally talk about it. If you can't, get the world the way you like it, you internally verbalize it, judge it, complain about it, and then decide what to do about it. This makes you feel more empowered. When your body experiences cold, there may be nothing you can do to affect the temperature. But when your mind verbalizes, it's cold, you can't say, you can say, we're almost home, just a few more minutes. Now you feel better. In the thought, in the thought world, there's always something you can do to control the experience. Basically, you recreate the outside world inside yourself, and then you live in your mind. What if you decided not to do this? If you decide not to narrate and instead just consciously observe the world, you will feel more open and exposed. This is because you really don't know what will happen next, and your mind is accustomed to helping you. It does this by processing your current experiences in a way that makes them fit with your views of the past and visions of the future. All of this helps to create a semblance of control. If your mind doesn't do this, you simply become too uncomfortable. Reality is just too real for most of us, so we temper it with the mind. You will come to see that the mind talks all the time because you gave it a job to do. You use it as a protection mechanism, to form a form of defense. Ultimately, it makes you feel more secure. As long as that's what you want, you will be forced to constantly use your mind to buffer yourself from life instead of living it. This world is unfolding. Excuse me. <clears throat> this world is unfolding and really has very little to do with you or your thoughts. It was here long before you came, and it will be here long after you leave. In the name of attempting to hold the world together, you're really just trying to hold yourself together. True personal growth is about transcending the part of you that is not okay and needs protection. This is done by constantly remembering that you are the one inside that notices the voice talking. That is the way out. The one inside who is aware that you are always talking to yourself about yourself is always silent. It is a doorway to the depths of your being. To be aware that you are watching the voice talk is to stand on the threshold of a fantastic inner journey. If used properly, the same mental voice 
that has been a source of worry, distraction, and general neurosis can become the launching ground for true spiritual awakening. Come to know the one who watches the voice, and you will come to know one of the great mysteries of creation. Interesting. Pretty good stuff. I was just thinking about this the other day, um, and I was talking to myself in my head because I'm constantly talking to myself in my head. And I said to myself, you know, you're constantly talking to yourself inside your head all the time. If you're not talking out loud, you're talking in your head. And, well, mind blown. So, um, yeah, that was chapter one, the intro and chapter one of a book. Get back to it. Hold on. And this will be in the description of the podcast. Uh, it was called The Untethered Soul, The Journey Beyond Yourself by Michael A. Singer. Um, it's a number one New York Times bestseller. Um, on the cover of the book, it has a, a quote, read this book carefully and you will get more than a glimpse of eternity. And Deepak, Sha- Deepak Chopra. Deepak Chopra said that. Um, so yeah, uh, it's me, Chris, on the podcast. Who knows where I read things? Um, and thanks for coming. Okay, bye.